Good morning. We all love uh, to be people who are encouraged by others, but also to be the kind of people who are an encouragement to other people. For some of us, the best encouragement we can offer others is our silence, just being there with people. While others of us have this unique gift of encouragement, we just know what to say and when to say and how much to say and what not to say. But even as we seek to be an encouragement to others, there are days when we are in need of encouragement. There are days when anxiety weighs, weighs us down and we long for an encouraging word. And yesterday, as I was preparing this sermon, there were moments when I did not know how to proceed, what transitions to use, how best to explain the meaning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I was anxious. And you know what? One of our members sent me a message. He said, Pastor, I am praying for you that as you prepare, God would speak to you and through you. I was encouraged because someone who did not know my struggles was praying that God would minister to my need and then minister through me. Perhaps that's exactly what, how Paul felt when he was in the city of Corinth. He wanted some encouraging news about the believers who were in Thessalonica. He had been with them for three weeks, saw conversion, saw people's lives change, People turned from idols to God, and he had to leave the place because there was severe persecution. People were being dragged out of their houses, and the brothers in Thessalonica said, Paul, maybe you should leave this town. You should go to the next town. But Paul was burdened. Are the brothers and sisters discouraged? Are they sad? Are they growing in the faith in spite of afflictions that they face? And so he decided to send Timothy to find out how they were doing and to encourage the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica in their faith. And Timothy comes back to Paul and gives, them, gives Paul encouraging news. Paul is just so encouraged as he just hears about the news concerning the faith of believers in Thessalonica. Their faith has increased, their love has increased. He's just so encouraged. And he writes this letter, the first Thessalonians, as an encouraged man. And as he writes, he thinks of the fruit he got to see while he was with them and now has heard through his friend Timothy. He encourages the church at Thessalonica by identifying the fruits that he had seen in them and reminds them that God was at work in their midst when he was with them and when he's away from them. He tells the church at Thessalonica that Gospel fruit in their midst is the fruit of God's work. And so my desire is that as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we would see that God produces gospel fruit. And because God produces gospel fruit, gospel fruit should direct us to God. God produces gospel fruit. Therefore, gospel fruit should direct us to God. Now, I'll be using this expression, gospel fruit, quite a few times in the sermon. Basically, what I mean by that is fruit that the gospel produces. And we'll see what fruit they are in this chapter. So let's dive into chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. 
This is verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, he writes to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've read Paul in letters, you would know that there's something different about this, the way in which he started this letter. He normally writes to the church in Christ, but it, in this letter, he says the church that is in the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul trying to say? Do you remember the words of Jesus in John 15 when Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. Without the vine, the branch has no life. The life of the vine flows into the branch and through the branch bears fruit. You need life and it must come from the vine. Jesus is the vine. His father is the gardener. I want you to think about the gardener with me. Who places the plant in the soil? The gardener. Where does it receive minerals for flourishing? The soil. So you could say that the plant derives life from the soil because the gardener has placed the plant in it. And the plant has life and will flourish because of the gardener and the soil. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. The people of Thessalonica, the believers there, are, have been placed into a new sphere of life, into a life-giving and a life-flourishing bond relationship, union with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So all that the church needs for sustenance and flourishing in the city of Thessalonica is found in their bond with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is encouraging for Christians who are persecuted. The church will flourish because of their relationship with the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus. This is gospel fruit. This relationship, this bond, this union, and the promises you enjoy because of this union. When you come down to verse 3, Paul cites three qualities of the Thessalonians that, that he saw and that he includes in his prayer for them. He's talking about gospel fruit. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just share two observations from that. Number one, faith, love, and hope are effective, meaning they work. They do things. Faith produces work. Love motivates labor. Hope inspires or produces endurance. So faith, love, and hope are effective. They, they do things. My second observation. Faith, love, and hope exist together. Or in other words, they work together. What I mean is that they are not unrelated. As the work of faith is over there, labor of love is over here, and of endurance or steadfastness of hope is on the other side. 
No, they're all working together. Let me see if I can explain this. Please stay with me because this is, this is I want to explain this for a bit. How do you know that faith is active faith? Well, this verse says faith works. It does things. What kind of work does faith produce? Well, the verse is it labors from love. In other words, faith works through love. Did I just make that up? No. Because in Colossians 1 verses, sorry, in Galatians 5 verse 6, when Paul writes to the church, churches in Galatia, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Faith expressing itself through love. That's also what John says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever loves has faith in God. Whoever loves has put his belief in God, has trusted God. Faith and love go together. Love, sorry, faith produces love. That's how it works. So biblical faith is effective, active faith. Biblical love is faith-fueled love. This kind of love moves you to the other person to do good because you seek the welfare, the good of the other person. That's why Manny Stephen Samuel spends time with the youth almost every Friday. He's concerned about their eternal destiny. In other words, when he pursues them week after week, he's telling them, I love you guys, and I want your good. Let me do you good by talking about Jesus, by reading the scriptures with you. Faith expressing through love. I know another couple in our church, I love this story. They take money from the little saving that they have, and they use it to help another member in our church who's struggling financially, is desperate, desperately in need. Because this family seeks the good of this other member. Faith works through acts of love. You're willing to sacrifice your comfort for the joy, gladness, good, and welfare, and benefit of the other person. When you sacrifice that croissant, that's what you do. You want his or her welfare, progress, joy, and gladness. So biblical love is self-giving. It is joy-producing, and it is God-honoring love. But I've only talked about faith and love. What about hope? How are faith, love, and hope related? I think the answer is in Colossians 1, verses 4 and 5. As Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae, he says that he thanks God because he heard about their faith in Christ Jesus and of their love for all the saints because of their hope. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. What's he saying? Faith in Jesus and love for others go together. But he also says that love exists because of hope. Faith produces love, and love is produced by hope. 
So in Colossians 1, Paul says, hope produces love. In 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul, the same Paul says, hope produces endurance. What is he saying otherwise? What's he actually saying? Hope in the future produces enduring, persevering, joyful love. You keep giving because you're certain, you're convinced about something good and glorious in the future. And in this chapter, the future is about the return of Jesus Christ. And as we think of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, are we excited to just give, give for the joy of other people? Die for the joy of other people? Serve for the good of other people? And that's what Paul is saying. Faith, love, and hope. They go together. Well, we will see in the rest of the chapter how this is more obvious in the lives of the people at Thessalonica. How did this gospel fruit, faith, love, and hope, come about? What was the process of gospel fruit coming to the city of Thessalonica? I want you to look at verse 5 with me. This is verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you in word, so the gospel came to them, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In other words, Paul Timothy, Silas, they spoke the gospel, and as they preached, as they preached, as they shared the gospel, they possessed power, a unique ability to stand in this city of Thessalonica filled with idols and to preach the foolishness of the cross. You need power for that. But not just power, but with full conviction. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, or Silvanus, were sure they were sure about the truthfulness of the gospel and its relevance for the people in Thessalonica. And so Paul reminds them that all this, the word coming to them, power, strength, confidence, full conviction, was only possible because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. What Paul shares here serves as an encouragement to those who are weak, to those who are scared, and doubtful about gospel conversations. How do I share the gospel with someone? I'm really scared if they'll reject me. I don't know if they'll beat me up. I don't know if they'll kick me out. I'm scared. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8? When the Holy Spirit, sorry, you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Isn't that encouraging? God is with us. But what's also interesting is that Paul makes a strong connection between the Word and the Holy Spirit. The Word is what the Holy Spirit uses to save people. In other words, if we want to see people get saved, we've got to speak gospel words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So these people heard the gospel. Verse 6, they received the gospel. Well, that means they believed in the gospel and they turned to Jesus and they were saved. But I want us to look at the context in which they received the gospel. 
It says they received in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, like, think with me, friends, what that actually means. They received in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, which actually means there was rejection, mockery, loss of property, friends. Probably they were tortured physically. Some of them lost their jobs. Maybe some of them faced loneliness. But as they suffered much affliction, in other words, plenty of affliction, as they suffered these things, the joy of the Holy Spirit was what gave them strength. And this joy was so powerful that no amount of affliction, pain, rejection, and loss of comfort could kill their joy. There is a joy that God gives and that joy is powerful. Even death is weak before this kind of joy. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Faith, love, hope, and now joy. If you look at verses 7 and 8... This kind of joy compelled them to spread the word to others around them in spite of the persecution. And thus, they became examples of the Lord and the apostles to all believers around them. Examples not just in the reception of the gospel, but also in their suffering for the gospel with joy. Friends, I don't want us to miss the gospel fruit in these verses. Joy of the Holy Spirit imitation of the Lord, and examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. Let us not for a second think that the gospel does not have the power to change the lives of people. Joy, examples, imitation. And news about their faith in God spread everywhere. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas really didn't have to talk about this church to other people. People were talking about this church and their faith in God. And what were these people talking about? Well, these people were saying, you know what? This church in Thessalonica, they love Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's in verses 9 and 10. And what else do they talk? Well, they talk about how they turned to God from idols. Verse 10. They turned to God from idols. That's what people have been saying. Thessalonica was known for idol worship. About 74 kilometers south of Thessalonica, you will find this huge mountain by the name Mount Olympus, where all the gods were supposed to have dwelt. And Zeus was in charge of all of them. So I want us to think like Romans and like Greeks right now, as you walk through the streets of Thessalonica, you might hear a story about a person named Albertus. Maybe. Albertus loved worshiping Dionysus. He loved going to the temple of Dionysus because Dionysus said that I am the god of fertility and I give religious ecstasy. And all of a sudden, Albertus has changed, and he keeps telling people the real joy is not found in Dionysus, but in Jesus. You may also find a lady, maybe, 
by the name Lydia, who frequently visited the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the temple, was the goddess who promised beauty and love and pleasure. And Lydia would have been a frequent visitor to her temple because she wanted to look beautiful. She wanted love and she wanted pleasure. But all of a sudden, the gospel has come to her. She has put her trust in Christ and she seems to be telling people that Aphrodite is a false goddess. Jesus is the real God. Maybe you might meet a couple, Vitus and Kamila, who would have given a lot of money to Kabiris, Kabiris being the patron god of Thessalonica, because according to the myth, Kabiris was slain. Although he was slain, he was going to come back and restore Thessalonica to great glory. And so they're all waiting for Kabiris to return. And this couple comes to know Jesus. They abandon Kabiris for Jesus. And, and this couple seems to be telling other people, Jesus is the returning king, not Kabiris. He's not going to come back. And that's what Paul says. People have been talking about these people. They've put their faith in Jesus. They've run from idols to the real God. And so what we see in verses 9 and 10 is Paul telling what happened when the gospel broke into the hearts of these people. They turned to God from idols. It is possible that some of you seated here this morning are looking for the same things that the Thessalonians were looking for in Aphrodite, in Dionysus, Kabiris, or even Zeus. You know, happiness, pleasure, joy, security, significance, meaning, peace. You're looking for these things in something or someone other than God. And that is an idol. An idol is a God replacement, is a God substitute. Maybe you trust your career. You think that if, if you get that one job, if you get that one position, then life is worth living. I've got significance. Or maybe it's this one relationship that you can't live without. If I can only marry her, or if I can only marry him, then I will be happy. Or it may be that your bank account, the money in your bank account is just growing and growing and growing and you're becoming more happier and happier and happier because future seems to be secure with the growth in money account, money in the account. Or maybe it is beauty. You want to look more beautiful. Much more younger so that the people around you will accept you and you'll be known as the beautiful one. Then life makes sense. My friends, I don't know what it is. I don't know which idol it is, but I know it is there in your heart because the Bible says that we have set idols in our hearts. Ezekiel 14 verse 3. This is the core sin of mankind, replacing God with created things. 
You see, God created us to enjoy Him, know Him, love Him, and worship Him. But what's sin? Well, sin is exchanging the glory of God in our hearts for things and for people and believing it to be true, actually believing a lie. Looking at these things and looking at these people and saying, career will bring me security. This romance will bring me happiness. I praise you money. I will serve you. I trust you to bring me true happiness. This is idolatry. Learn from the Thessalonians. They turn from idols to the living God. Look to Jesus, friends. He promises true, lasting happiness, not by giving things, but he gives himself. Did you know that? He gives himself. The gospel brings true security, not idols. Christ is our security, not money, because in Christ, God is with us. God is for us. We have no security if God is against us. If God is against us, we will face the wrath of God. That's First Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10. God's wrath is ready to be poured out on all idolaters. And First Thessalonians tells us that there is a way to escape from the wrath to come because of idolatry, and that's by looking to Jesus. By running from false gods, which are no gods at all, running from things that will not give happiness and security and peace and hope and strength, but to Jesus, the one who died for idolaters, taking the wrath of God upon himself, resurrecting on the third day and offering forgiveness and eternal life. The gospel gives true hope. Jesus gives true hope. John 14 verse 3, Jesus said, If I go and I prepare a place for you, this is one of my favorite verses, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you, Jesus does not say take you to that place. He says, I will go, sorry, I will come and I will take you to myself. No idol says that. The gospel gives true hope. The gospel promises true approval from the most holy one. All sins are forgiven by God when we look to Jesus. Now, those of us who have trusted in Jesus can also have idols in our hearts. Friends, idols blind us from seeing God. Idols tell us lies about God, that God cannot provide that God cannot protect us or our children, that He is not faithful, that there is no future. Well, brothers and sisters, what false gods are you serving now? Which false god are you listening to now? Well, here are some questions to find out who your false god is. Let me just share two with you. Number one, what is the one thing in your life that you think you cannot live without? What is that one thing? Life is not worth the living without that. Life makes no sense without that. That is your idol. Question two, 
What is that one thing that you think about the most? That one thing that you will make sacrifices for, that one thing you will protect, that one thing that occupies your heart the most, that is your idol. Could be a job, could be a career, could be your spouse, could be money, it could be social status, it could be beauty. What is that one thing? Well, brothers and sisters, idols will lie to us. Jesus does not lie to us. Idols will break our hearts. Jesus will cleanse our hearts. Idols demand sacrifice. Jesus became a sacrifice. Idols will destroy us and only Jesus can save us. Look to Jesus. Because of him, we are secure. Jesus, our Savior, is going to come from heaven. That is a gospel promise. Cling to this truth like the Thessalonians did. I can almost see Paul smiling as he pens this chapter because he was so thrilled with the gospel fruit that he saw and he heard about. Faith, hope, love, joy. But as Paul commends the church for these qualities in them, he does not fail to recognize the source, you know, the agent that produced these fruit. So look carefully at verse 2 and see how Paul begins. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you. That's how it begins. We give thanks to God What is Paul trying to say? Well, thanking God was Paul's way of saying that gospel fruit is the result of God's work. That no conversion, no repentance, no fruit, no love, no hope, no joy is possible unless God works in the hearts of people. God opened the doors for them to come to Thessalonica. God helped the people understand that Jesus is better than idols. God produced faith and repentance. God gave Paul, Silas, and Timothy the word, the courage, and full conviction. God produced joy in the hearts of hearers so that persecution will not distract them. God gave them hope in their affliction. Paul thinks of the church in his prayer, and his eyes are on God. God produced gospel fruit. But that's not the only place where he focuses the reader's attention on God. I want you to look at verse 4. Verse 4. It says, for we know. I think verse 4 is grammatically connected to verse 2. Because he's just begun thanking God in verse 2. So in other words, what Paul says is, we thank God for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We thank God because we know that God has chosen you. How can you be sure that God has chosen you? How does Paul know the heart of God here? Who are God's elect? Well, gospel fruit is the evidence that God has chosen these people. Meaning, gospel fruit, faith, Love, hope, and joy is the result of God's choice. That means God's choice comes first. Gospel fruit comes second. 
God's election, His sovereign and gracious choice in eternity past to save people, hell-deserving, wrath-deserving sinners, to save them from their sins is the reason why people will turn from idols to God. People will turn to God now because God has chosen them in the past. So faith is a gift, repentance is a gift, love is a gift, hope is a gift, joy is a gift. Therefore, gospel fruit should direct us to God. I've got one more thing to say before I end. Verse 4. Can we just look carefully at verse 4? This is Paul writing. He says, For we know brothers, brothers loved by God. There is no comma after brothers. He says, Brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. He calls them brothers, a word that's used 15 times in this book. Brothers, and he identifies them as people who are loved by God. I, I don't think... He is saying that God's election is based on his love, although that is true. I think what he is saying is that God's election, so brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you, God's election means that his people are specially loved. That God's people have a special status, they can be sure of God's faithful covenant love. Well, if that's the case, love is not only the foundation of God's election, it is also the fruit of God's election. It means that he's committed to his people because he delights in them in Christ Jesus. This is like the husband-wife relationship. Husbands love your wives. There is something special, unique about the love that a husband has for his wife. He does not have that kind of love for any other woman. If he does, you've committed adultery. But this kind of special covenant love is just for his wife. It's special. It's pursuing love. It's from the covenant that he has established with her. That's the kind of love, even more, infinitely more, is God's love for his people. Now this is encouraging news for the afflicted, the persecuted. For in affliction, we are tempted to think that God is angry with us and that he does not love us or that he has abandoned us or that he's nowhere near us. This love means that in much affliction, God is with you. In much affliction, he will give you joy. God, this is, isn't this interesting? God commands joy, rejoice in the Lord. And then God gives joy. This is 1 Thessalonians 1. God is committed to our joy. You know, a couple in our church members, they've lost a lot. A lot. (laughs) 
And as elders, when we asked them, at least the last conversation I had with them, this is what they said. It is difficult, but we are happy. It is difficult, but we are happy. That's First Thessalonians for us. Gospel fruit is produced by God. God produces such joy in the midst of much affliction, in the midst of so much of loss, but we are happy. He will produce good in his children. He will give them hope. He will increase their faith. When we are tempted to be bitter, he produces love in us. When we are weak and confused, he will hold us fast. Brothers and sisters, we are God's treasured possession. Specially loved by God. This is gospel fruit. God produces gospel fruit. Therefore, gospel fruit produces thanksgiving to God. I want us to think of our church. Many people have come to faith. We've seen many people repent of their sins. We've seen the hope that's evident in many people. We've seen love, labor of love. We've seen joy in difficult circumstances. We've seen this new place. We've seen God gather more people. We've seen God raising men to be elders. We've seen so much of fruit in this church. Brothers and sisters, God produces gospel fruit. And therefore, gospel fruit should direct our hearts to God. God is the hero. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son, who died for idolaters, who took the wrath for idolaters, and who rose again and through whom we receive salvation. We know that we will not believe in Jesus unless you produce faith in us. So we thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you for the gift of hope. We thank you for the gift of love. We thank you for the gift of joy. And so God, as a church, we celebrate you and your work in our midst. Continue doing that. God, help us see your glory as we sing songs about you, especially these next two ones. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.